when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 81 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and this is the first of three horror film episodes in October. Unfortunately, my co-host Patrick is a bit under the weather and can't be here. He says that he lost his voice, but I think he might just have been too scared to watch this movie. Regardless, the show must go on, and we have a special guest filling in this week. He is the People's Critic, not to be confused with the People's Elbow, Mr. Tim Hall. Hey, what's up, man? Good to be on. (laughs) Well, Tim, today is an exciting day. Not only are we covering The Thing, one of the greatest sci-fi horror films ever to be made, but this is also our first time covering a film by the great John Carpenter. So before we get to that, uh, Tim, we like to do a little bit of a recap of what we've been up to the past week. And so I'd love to hear what you've been watching, but I'd also like to give you a chance just to say hello and tell our listeners what it is you do out there in the film criticism world. Wait, first, first question. How is this the first John Carpenter film you guys have done? Again, Patrick doesn't like horror. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. I, he, I, yeah, I, I know, I know. I mean, he, he, we've, I've been working on it. Like he's coming around a little bit, slowly but surely. You know, we're doing the Blair Witch Project in a couple weeks, so that's probably gonna give him nightmares. Yeah, yeah. The spoon feeding the horror films until he finally yeah, gets up to speed. Exactly. Um, what do I do? I am a film critic. Uh, I started years ago, just like writing a blog and sending it to my friends. And then that's turned into me having my own blog. And that turned into me uh, being an actual film critic. And where, where do people, where do you write like right now? I have my own you... blog, was mm-hmm. blog. And then when I, so when I started early on, I started doing a blog on the Seattle PI's website. So that's been fun. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty big gig. Like seeing your name on the, it's weird. The Seattle. Is it? <laughs> It's weird. It's all, it's all, it's, from honest, all this is surreal. It's like living a second life. Yeah. I can imagine that. That's, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, not everybody gets to do that. So, <laughs> you know, it's pretty neat to like go to the Seattle PI website and click there and see all of your reviews and, and you, you do know, trailer reactions. Is that right? I, no, I just, I post trailers and so I, I, a bunch of random stuff. Just a bunch of stuff. Um, but it's, it's fun. You know, I'm still, I'm just a person who loves movies. I'm, I'm no different than anybody else out here who's listening. Yeah, I think that's how we all pretty much got started, right? <laughs> yeah, I just love movies. Yeah, and this is—I'm happy to be on here because this is one of my favorite movies. Yes, that's why I was pumped when you chose this one. It was funny because I remember giving you the list, and you—you you said you didn't even need to think about it nope. <laughs> because you saw you <laughs> saw the thing on there. Um, exactly. Well, so what have you been up to this past week? Have you been watching anything or? I did. I suffered. I suffered through the snowman. Oh my! Uh, I, and I felt bad because I invited my friend Camille, and her first time ever coming to a screen with me, and it, it, it was the snowman. I oh. felt like I had to. I apologize. Like, look, they're usually not this bad. Well, you know, did you, so what is, what is absolutely terrible about it? Because I, I wasn't there. I didn't get to go see. Well, I didn't get to go see. I didn't have to go see this one. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's a, it's a lot. It's it has all the makings of a film that should be really good, 
Mm-hmm. It's got like it's produced by Martin Scorsese. It's got Michael Fassbender. It's got Rebecca Ferguson. It's about a serial killer in Norway who's like leaving snowmen around. It's kind of creepy premise, but man, the editing is like it's terrible. It's really choppy. I, I feel like there's like a chunk of the film missing, and not just like we took out the middle piece or we chopped out the ending. I feel like there's like pieces throughout the film that are just cut because none of it really makes sense. Yeah, I've heard I've heard the editing is just absolutely horrific. It's 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 noticeably bad. That's mind boggling. Like how yeah. how do you spend millions of dollars on a movie and then let it get how do you I mean, you don't have to send it out to the world. At some point you do. At some point it's like look, <laughs> we sunk we sunk so much money to this film, we gotta at least recoup something. And maybe it'll find an audience somewhere, maybe it'll be something that catches on internationally because it's got Fazbender in it. I don't know. But man, it, it's rough. So is his name really Harry Hole? Yep. Oh, I just, I don't even, how do you put this on? I I don't know. I just don't. You want to you know the worst part? After sitting through this <laughs> terrible movie, the end of it, like, really tried to set up a sequel. <laughs> yeah, like, that's going to happen. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's laughable. Like, oh, okay, we're going to do another one of these? All right. Maybe they'll make one and, like, send it straight to Video On Demand or something crazy like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it sucks because there's... You can tell that there, there's a good, and you've probably witnessed this too, right? There's a good movie in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, the premise, the premise project. sounds pretty exciting. I mean, just yes. just even what you just described, and when you talk about the actors involved, yeah. like you, it sounds like an intense thriller. I mean, it's based on a an acclaimed novel. Yes. So people have liked this story somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. I don't well, know what, where. <laughs> what was the last? What was the last good movie you watched then? It's probably Happy Death Day. I thought it was fun. Nice. I just didn't love it like some people did, but I thought it was fun. Like it's it's what uh, for your like your podcast your podcast partner. It's a movie for him, right? It's a gateway mm-hmm. drug to horror. It's PG thirteen. It's got yeah. some scares in it. You can sort of feed it, force feed it to people like that. Like my nephew, who's eleven, could watch it. Mm-hmm. And be okay and be introduced to sort of the same horror genre elements without having all the blood and gore and scare. Right? It's something, it's a horror movie you could show at like a church retreat. <laughs> that's actually, that's actually a good you, point. You know what I mean? Like, so. Yeah, minus those yeah. first couple of, uh, yeah. dia- dialogue about sex when they're in the, <laughs> when they first meet up yeah. in the yeah, sorority house. The yeah, you can start <laughs> it five minutes in and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Actually, the noticeable lack of blood was really surprising to me. I think there's only like a couple splatters here a and there, but like barely. Yeah, it's never blatant. It's all right. about it's all shown off screen and kind of in, implied. And uh, a lot yeah, of implied violence. Yeah, I was a big fan of it. Um, although I saw a tweet today, somebody had posted that said somebody was comp- arguing about box office numbers between Happy mm-hmm. Death Day and uh, Blade Runner 2049, yeah. and Somewhat, the the person had responded and said, "Yeah, but Blade Runner twenty forty nine, people are going to be talking about thirty five years from now, and Happy Death Day, no one's going to remember it in December." And and I feel like that's probably kind of true, you know? Like, why why do you think Blade Runner didn't take off at the box office? Well, I just got done with my third viewing today. Um, <laughs> wow, you did third? I did. I, I had to go see it in IMAX before it gets off the screens. Man, I, I needed to I needed to see it the best way possible, and um and it did not disappoint. But I, you know, I think it boils down largely to just not being something an audiences want these days. I just, I don't think that there's a, 
a market out there for heavy cerebral science fiction. And, you know, the big budget probably helped it some. If it had had a smaller budget, it might not have gotten anywhere near what it's gotten so far. I just, I just don't think people want to be patient and think and live in those pauses. I mean, I have so many friends that have spoken up even in my Facebook group about just, oh, well, the scene with Ryan Gosling going to get the, the thing and the boiler room. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, you know, like that's just way too long and they don't, they don't resonate with living in the moment with a scene kind of like a ghost story. And so I just, audiences just don't, they don't love that. They want more action, I think. And so sadly, you know, it doesn't make it a lot of money. I, I hope that it makes its money back. It's, it's got a, it's having a decent foreign office. It's got a decent foreign run and I'm hoping it just makes its money back. It's a lot to make back, man. I know. Well, it's at like, I look today and it's, it's, it's there, uh, but not counting like marketing costs and stuff. So yeah, I think it can, I think it might, it might break even as long as it breaks even, like we're good. You know, I worry but about I this just, type of movies because, I mean, this is one of the movies that Warner Brothers had on their calendars, one of the tentpole films mm-hmm. to go along with Justice League, to go along with the Harry Potter movies. And it just flat out failed. Yeah, and you'll see it, something like Justice League that won't be as good, but will make all the money. Exactly. Exactly. Justice League will, will have like an average rating of like three, three and a half and right. end up making a billion. And this, <laughs> yeah. and this has an average rating of around four and a half and makes like 35 million. It's, it's, it's yeah. absolutely crazy. I, I'm just glad that we got this one, to be honest, because it yeah. blew me away. I love it. And thank goodness they took this chance even. Yeah. I think the length was really a problem for people. Yeah. I do too. I think that's a, that's a huge part too. Cause if you're an, if you're an average moviegoer, casual, casual fan mm-hmm. and you just go to the movies, right? And you look up at the screen to see what you want to watch. And or you pull up your app and you see two hours and forty minutes. Like, oh, next, you know, like yeah. you're. Right. If you don't know what the property is, you're not gonna randomly commit to that. You have to be going for that movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas you might just pull it up, and be like, oh, Justice League, that sounds cool. <laughs> you know, superheroes. Ah, uh, I'll go. Right. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I guess we'll see how it shakes out. I just, I love all the good sci-fi we're getting. I know you're a big sci-fi fan. Uh, uh, listen, yeah, I get it from my dad. I'm a big sci-fi fan. Saw the trailer today, uh, today on IMAX screen for, again, for Annihilation. And, uh, oh, super, I can't wait for that. Super stoked for that one. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Well, for me, the, the one that I want to mention is Only the Brave. This is a movie that released just this week mm-hmm. and was in my top five most anticipated fall movies. I think I had it at number five, actually. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's about a firefighting group, elite wild firefighting group in Arizona, I believe, maybe New Mexico, one of those states. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I guess I didn't pay attention to the details, but it stars Josh Brolin, has, uh, Miles Teller in a lead role. Taylor Kitsch is in there pretty prominently. Taylor Kitsch. Yeah, he's my boy. I, that got me excited about it because I am a Taylor Kitsch fan unapologetically As am I, and i love i love taylor kitsch yeah, friday night lights john carter lone survivor battleship you name it i like oh, taylor kitsch listen i don't love those movies <laughs> but, I love, <laughs> but i love taylor kitsch right you like taylor kitsch in those movies at I least like and so um so i was excited to see him you know playing this because he does such a good job in like that all-american boy kind of role mm-hmm. well I knew the story of this movie and I, um, it's history. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it does not turn out well for this group. 
No, but they were the first ever municipally funded hotshot crew. And then it's like, that's what they're called, these elite firefighting group. All the rest of them have always been federal, but they petitioned and tested themselves to become municipally funded so they could take care of their town. And from like 2008 to 2013, when the tragedy ends up happening, they were incredible and just amazing work that they did stopping wildfires uh, from consuming their area. So this was interesting because the director was Joseph Kosinski. And he's done two films before, and both of them are science fiction. So he's done Tron Legacy and Oblivion. And it was kind of, you know, surprising. Let's see what he can do with actual human characters, you know, and trying to bring out some of that humanity. And I was really blown away. I mean, he did a fantastic job. These actors, this is not your typical schlocky um, biopic with a tragedy into it. Um, he really makes you feel and care about these characters and the way that they build them up is done in a way that pretty much everybody is left in tears. Uh, man tears flowed and everybody I've talked to has said the same. So this was a very inspiring, powerful story, uh, very unknown. And I hope that people go see this one because I was shockingly surprised about it. Good. Alrighty. Well, All right. um, with that said, let's get into the thing. So I'm going to ask you, and without without going into too many specifics, I guess. Okay. But you already said that this is your, not your favorite film. One of your it favorite films. It might be. It, it might be. Okay. It might be. So it's up there in your favorite films. Um, so what is your history with it? Like why, how did it get to that point for you? It's changed over the years. I think as a kid, I just enjoyed the story. I enjoy, you know, my dad love sci-fi so i enjoy sci-fi and then uh as i got older as i watched the film and probably same thing for you as i got older like what i appreciated about it changed right i appreciated the the, the practical effects i appreciated the storyline i appreciated all the nuance with the characters i appreciated the way it was edited i appreciated the sound design i appreciated how simple the story is yet how complex it is and so as I've grown, I've grown to appreciate different things about it. And it's sort of a movie that's grown with me. Like I saw it as a young child and it's something I watch a few times a year. So that makes a lot of sense actually, because I think there's quite a few films that I grew up with that have grown on me like that, that they stay right there hovering around my top 10. Like I refuse to let them go. Now yours, <laughs> yours is more universally acclaimed than some of mine. Like Top Gun is one of mine. And, okay. you know, not the majority of critical consensus is not going to tell you that's a five star movie, but it is to me. And it's because of the way that I grew up with it. And, you know, I had a military family. I ended up joining the Navy. And so it's just, I've, I've, it's come with me, like you were talking about. Um, it's interesting too that you mentioned the changing of opinions. Patrick and I talk about this all the time and he would love to be having this conversation right now about how you can watch a movie in your 20s and get one experience and you watch a movie in your 30s and you get a completely different experience and then you watch a movie when you you know have kids or you're married and it's completely it changes based on where you are in life um i mean i have tons of examples of that you know like la la land resonated with me last year um in a way that it would not have resonated 20 years ago because of where i was in my life 
And so that always, you gotta always kind of take that into effect. So it's cool that you have this one that has stuck with you. Right. Um, even in different ways, you've still loved it yeah, all the time. Yeah, still love it. For I me, loved it more, which is weird too. Oh, so it's grown. Yeah. It's grown. Yeah. Well, that's good. For me, it was, I honestly don't remember the first time I saw it, but it was only a few years ago. What? Um, yeah. I had a lot of blind spots, I found out. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, you did. Right, right before I started doing the podcast and I was kind of doing reviews on Letterboxd as a precursor to this, and I realized all these, all these movies I had not seen that were classics. And I was not a big horror guy, and I'd always heard of the thing as being horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't fall in love with horror until a couple years ago. I do now. Now I love the genre. But um, yeah, I'd stayed away from it. And so I think I watched the remake first actually by accident or something. Oh, the 2011 one. The most recent one. Yeah. 2011. And it was, it was kind of like, okay, that's fine. Why? Wait, wait, did you hear the story behind the 2011 one? No. So they do it and they bring these guys to do practical effects. So these guys do all these like amazing practical effects. Studio wants it covered with CGI. Oh my goodness. So they cover like, um, that scene in the, in the, when the, and then in the pool area and the guy's like arm comes out and like he transforms, he splits into two and gets on the other guy. Bill, when that girl changes at the beginning, when they realize that she's a thing, mm-hmm. she changes in the store, in the storage room. They made her that the transformation on the helicopter looks really terrible and the guy's face, face splits. They changed that and made a CGI. They changed everything. Wow. Okay. Well, that's studio. what it wasn't. The, it wasn't the people putting the movie together. It was the studio saying, "Nope, we need more CGI." That's studios ruining things, right? Like, I mean, ruined it. Terrible. Well, it, somehow, luckily, I stuck with it and watched the original after it, mm-hmm. uh, and I remember liking it, but not loving it. And I still, I still, I, I. I do love it and I think it's exceptional, but I don't, I don't have the same love for it that many of my friends do. And so I'm hoping that maybe even after this conversation that it will help solidify that for me because that, that's what happens with us a lot is when you, when you talk through a movie, um, it's amazing how you can kind of be like, Oh yeah, you know what? You're right. And then you start to feel differently about it. It's sometimes for the worst, but mostly for the positive. So anyway, for me, I, I watched it a few years ago and I really liked it. Um, the practical effects were to me at the time, scary and gross, which mm-hmm. I would consider a success. Uh, <laughs> and nowadays I would yeah. look at that and say, Oh, that's successful. But the tension in this one is something we're going to talk about because it's, mm-hmm. it's so, so strong uh you can cut it with a knife and that's one thing i really have grown to enjoy the most about this movie that and the cast the cast is just awesome i mean yeah. i love keith david um i love kurt russell obviously i think we all love kurt russell this was like kurt this was kind of kurt russell's he changed from his early days of mm-hmm. kitty movies and family movies and this is when he started becoming like the action star that we know Right. And then there's Wilford Brimley, which right. I, I remember when I first saw him in this movie and I was like, wait a second, like, <laughs> is, is he real? Is he here just to eat oatmeal? Because like, yeah. he's, he's, what is he doing here? Um, but yeah, it's, it's grown on me. So 
I want to mention, by the way, listeners, we are going to spoil the heck out of this going forward from yeah. right now. So, you know, it was made in 1982. Come it on. was, and uh, and so if you've listened to us before, you know that we we have to talk about a movie in full to to really accurately discuss it. So the next question I have, Tim, is: Have you seen the thing from another world or read the short story that this movie is based on? No, I've seen no. clips of a thing from another world. And I really want to read the short story. I haven't yet. All right. So then I got something up on you because (laughs) earlier this week, I watched The Thing from Another World. I actually watched it before my rewatch of The Thing. And I was, you know, it's gotten, it's gotten pretty, pretty good critical reviews as well. I have a love-hate relationship with old movies. Um, Usually they fall in the love or hate. They don't usually come out in the middle ground very often. Um, And so this one came much closer to love, um, but probably more so in the middle ground, actually. It's interesting because, for one thing, the first thing I noticed when I I saw the thing was that it did copy the the opening – title crawl so like the burning on of the thing on the screen that comes from the thing from another world and then it actually takes out some of the things that the thing from another world did so it's it's a lot more of a faithful adaptation uh the short story is actually by a guy named john campbell jr and it's it's a novella it's called who goes there and i want to read it at some point because i love the idea of the thing and what this storyline is about, you know, the alien invader and you don't know what it is and it really doesn't know what you are. And it's, it's all about survival. Um, but the 1951 version, the older film actually has female characters that were not in the short story. Uh, it felt at the time they felt they needed to have a love interest for the hero, which shockingly, it feels like in 2017, that probably would be a thing too. (laughs) Right. Um, but luckily in the 1982 movie, they didn't do that. They, they took that out. They left it completely the way it was in the short story with no female roles. Um, and I, I think that was bold, <laughs> you know, like there, there aren't, I don't think there are any, are there none, no, no. none at all. Um, and it's not a movie that needed, needed it to be shoehorned in, uh, and forced. Now, if you were making this movie in 2017, is it much more likely that you're going to have a, a more robust, um, you know, ethnic crew in the Antarctic if you were at this station, uh, and also including women? Yeah, probably so. So maybe nowadays it would make more sense. But at the time, I think it was was pretty accurate. Um, the other thing that they did that matches up with the short story really well is the the uh, hot wire that they use to poke mm-hmm. into the blood and see if it will react. That's what they, they used a hot needle to do the exact same thing in the novella. So it's essentially the same concept, but they didn't do that in the thing from another world. It's a little, it's, it's, it's really, it's a little different. <laughs> it's, it, it kind of takes this mad scientist route. Um, whereas, you know, like Brimley in this movie is, he's not, no one in this film is intentionally trying to harm others. It's everything they do is based out of paranoia and fear. Um, but in, in the first one, it just feels much more like someone is kind of trying to help it along, you know? Um, so it's, it's worth checking out though. It's, it's interesting. Um, it's got some, some, it's got good 
cinematography for its day and age. I actually am pretty sure, and I couldn't find this. I looked it up. But there's a point in the thing where they're watching videotape, and it's in black and white footage of the Antarctic where they found the ship or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And they're setting charges in the ice. I think that that's directly, it looked to me like it was direct footage from the thing from another world. And if so, that would be really cool to have integrated pieces of that movie into, you know, the thing. So yeah, I I highly recommend checking it out. And, And anybody who's, you know, fans of the thing especially should probably watch it because it's an, it's an interesting comparison at the very least. Um, so, I mentioned that theme of isolation and that was the first one I kind of wanted to talk about. So a lot of people consider this to be kind of like alien, which came out three years, 79. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three years before. What would you say? Do you think that that's an accurate statement? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's fear in it in isolation. I mean, if you're, if you're in prison, the worst thing they can do is put you in isolation. So there's a human fear uh, in isolation. Like I said, it's, before, like all of our senses that we have are meant to interact with other people. So when, when we, so when isolated and that number gets dwindled down and you can't, you can't get to other people, you can't get to help. You don't have a cell phone to get anywhere. Uh, it's, it's fearful because anything can happen and who's, who's there to help you. There's no 911 to call. There's no fire and rescue. There's no coast guard. There's no, no one's coming to save you. You're out there on the island all by yourself. And there's a natural fear. Like, I don't know what it's like to be stuck in the alien invasion. But I know it's like to feel isolated. Mm-hmm. So that's where the fear resonates with people. Yeah, and it, and it could be anything, right? That's the thing is it right. doesn't have to be an alien that's coming. Right. It could be you. anything. Um, it, did you any, ever see that horror movie um, Hush? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. it's, on, it's a Netflix Netflix movie. Yeah, isolation. She's she's stuck out there, cabin in the woods. They're stuck in the cabin in the woods. Yeah, there's you know that's a good point. That's a it is a very common theme. And, and that's what made Alien unique at the time. You know, like, oh, it's no one in space. No one can hear you scream. You're... Even something like an I'm on Elf Street. Mm-hmm. They're stuck in their dreams. There's, there's no one can come help you in your dreams. It's you and Freddy, and that's it. <laughs> Which is not a good thing. No, it's not a good, not good, not good You know, the only Nightmare on Elm Street I've seen is the newest one. You've never seen the original? Mm-mm. Man, you got to watch the original. No, I've never seen the original. I've never seen the original Friday the 13th either. Those are like those early 80s series um, are just blind I, I spots with, in horror. I start with, have you seen Halloween? No. Come on, man. None, those are the three series that I, I know. I know. Okay. All right. So I, I'd have you watch, and I'm on Elm Street, the first one. Okay. Uh, Friday the 13th, part three. I'd skip the first two. I mean, they're fine, but I'd skip the three. Okay. And the first Halloween and the second one, because they, they sort of go back to back. The second okay. one picks up right where the first one is. Okay. I'll have to put that down and try to get through those, because I, I definitely want to. Um, I just, yeah, I don't, when I got into horror late, like I was saying, and so it, I've, I've kind of been playing catch up <laughs> and I meant, to, I meant to ask you that, like, what was the film that made you finally fall in love with horror? What did you see? Well, I don't know. I, I loved the cabin in the woods. It, it, like it probably, it's probably the one I would point to that gave me the gumption to even try mm-hmm. because I just, I adored it so much. And because it, kind of deconstructed all of the tropes Mm -hmm. it made watching them after that a little less scary Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I Sorry. It just hit me. I remember now what it was. Um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose. It's one yeah. of my favorite horror films in my top 10 horrors. I, I adore this movie. And, you know, oddly enough, it's not all horror. It's like half car- courtroom drama. But, <laughs> yeah, but there was something about that movie that just just throttled me. Um, and, you know, and I liked some horror before that. Insidiouses, I liked, um, you know, paranormal activities, sinister, I really enjoyed. Um, but I just, I wasn't, I didn't love anything. And so since then, I've just been kind of consuming as much as I could. And I, 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 part of the problem was I didn't like gore. Um, sure. and I, what I discovered is that I love psychological horror and I love, uh, spiritual based horror specifically. So anything that's got to do with possessions and demons and such, I mean, it, it gets to me, it affects me spiritually. Like I get riled up, but it's in a good way. Um, because what I've found for me personally is that horror kind of reminds me, um, it, it kind of reminds you that you're alive in a lot of ways. Like it gets your senses going. Um, you're, you're really interacting with that movie you're breathing deep. You're you're holding your breath. Um, you're you're doing all these things, and watching spiritual things, especially or demon possession type stuff, affected on the screen. It kind of gives you an idea of like, hey, if I believe this exists, then this is something I should be scared of or I should take seriously. So for me, that's kind of how it, how it's worked out. I still don't like gore fests. I know we have some friends here in our Seattle critics group that. Right that do, <laughs> but those aren't for me. Um, well, when I, uh, we had a friend actually that he said this about the com- uh, comparison of the theme of isolation to alien. He said, both have virtually identical scenarios, a group of rugged people in a harsh, isolated environment, battle an unknown organism that has infiltrated their midst. Each has the strongest character, assert control over the weaker, more cowardly cast members. And interestingly, both groups use flamethrowers, which is true. In fact, those similarities were held against John Carpenter when his film came out. It was seen as a cynical, gory, gory alien knockoff released in the wake of Steven Spielberg's E.T. And I don't know because I was only like a couple yeah. years old at that point. But I know that this movie did not do well at the box office. Nope. So. Not. And, and in fact, it's kind of ironic because this movie released at the same time at same day, I believe, as Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of them, you know, did not do well at the box office and kind of have grown to have these cult followings that really respect them. Um, and so I think people probably did. I can see that. I can see how people would have would have thought that at the time. Yeah, you know? they hated it. Yeah. Uh, and they would have just said, oh, yeah, it's already been done. But in reality, it's very different. Um, and then it, Patrick actually says, the two movies are remarkably similar setups can can actually wield wildly different styles. Um, really, Scott's more deliberate in building his narrative and restrained with the violence. And that's very true about Alien. Carpenter jumps right in and features plenty of gore. Both set their characters in harsh, unforgiving environments to confront the terror but for Ridley Scott, the unknown is a monster with an unmatched viciousness and purpose. Right. And for Carpenter, the unknown in ourselves in the beast that lurks within is kind of more of what he's concerned with. Right. So, yeah, that theme of isolation um, 
is very, very strong and very, very scary. And I think for me, that's, that's what it is. Like, that's what causes the paranoia in the crew. (laughs) And yeah, I just, you know, you see this happen all the time where groups start to turn on each other and it feels to me very realistic. It feels like a realistic depiction of what would happen. Like what if, if you're in a group of people and all of a sudden you don't know who anybody is, like, I don't know any longer if you are what you say you are. Um, this is another thing that, you know, I I guess having consumed so much Blade Runner in the last month, I've been watched like both those films combined probably six times in the last month. It made me think about how they're similar in that they both deal with that idea of not necessarily knowing what someone is. We don't know if Deckard is a replicant or a human. Um, we have characters in Blade Runner 2049 debating for themselves internally. Like, am I replicant? Am I human? Right. I can't, that's one big philosophical question, but I mean, how scary would it be to to not know if you have an alien inside you? Right. (laughs) Right. Like, Hey, I don't know if I'm actually human or not. Um, and so it makes, go ahead. Oh yeah. So ex machina is one of my absolute favorites as well. And that's because, because of that. And that scene where he's, he like cuts himself because he's not sure if he's really right. It starts messing with his head. It does. I've actually mentioned that scene in, in a couple <laughs> podcasts recently, um, as evidence of that because it does. He, he takes himself to the limit where he no longer doesn't know. He's questioning his own humanity. Um, and you know, in this one, gosh, like how scary because you know that if, if it's inside of you, you know that you're dead. First of all, mm-hmm. you're going to die, but you, you also have to know that you're going to cause other people's potential death. And you have to kind of deal with that psychological process of, well, what do I do about that? Right? Like, how am I supposed to respond? Do I, is it, do I try to save myself? Do I kill myself to try and stop myself from hurting other people? There's all these questions that these characters have to go through, um, in their minds. And it's just, it, to me, it's fascinating to watch. And I think that this cast does a great job of, of really capturing that feeling. Um, so the, another theme, obviously, in this one is the will to survive. Mm-hmm. And I got a question. So how do you think, how do we see that in the thing? In, because, in the, in the creature? Right, because it's not just the humans. So we have the thing that's trying to survive as well, right? Yeah. It's it's you know so when they when they find the thing at some point it's it's stuck in the Antarctic and it's just waiting to be picked up so it could try to survive. It's trying to find a way out. That's why when they go and they they see that it's been building a spaceship with all these parts, parts from helicopters. So it's it's smart. Like every and that's the thing. Like. Everyone in this movie is trying to be smart about how to survive. The, the thing is, the humans are, because most horror movies rely on people just being dumb. They rely on people being stupid. But this movie, like from the start, people are trying to figure out what's happening. They're trying to figure out the best way to survive. Some of it's violence. Some of it's science. Some of it's, let's, let's just board up the, the windows and let's wait this thing out. Uh, but the thing is definitely doing everything it can to survive. I don't think it necessarily wants to kill everyone there. But if it has to, it will. But this whole point is, is fixing the spaceship and getting out of there. 
No, where it's going to go, I don't know. And that seems fair. (laughs) I mean, it really does, doesn't it? I mean, I try to think of like the reverse of this where I don't know what movie it would be, but I'm sure the movie exists that, you know, humans crash on a planet and they just try to survive. Maybe Pitch Black. Is that what happens in Pitch Black? I can't remember how they get on the planet, but you know, one of those are, you know, like they're there by accident and they're just trying to get off of it and survive. And in the process, they have to kind of kill a bunch of the residents that are trying to kill them (laughs) and, and, you know, and eat them. And so, I mean, really, what's the difference? We, we think of it differently because we want to protect our own humanity and we want to put ourselves at the top of the food chain. But so I guess the question is, do we really believe what, ah, shoot, I don't remember who says it, um, but one of the characters who specifically says, if this gets out, then the world is going to be destroyed, right? Yes. Because it's going to kill, and, and they, you know, I think it's the scientist, he's, maybe it's Brimley, but he's calculating out, like, how long it's going to take. Do we really think that that's the thing's intention? Yes, but not, n- not... It's not trying to kill people, but that's the way it survives. Just like an alien, right? The xenomorph survives by recreating itself, by impregnating other people. That's how the species survives. So whatever this thing is, it survives by multiplying itself. That involves it consuming other human creatures. It's not. It's by default. Am I an animal because I love eating chicken? Maybe. (laughs) Right? But... To the chicken, I'm an animal. Correct. To the, I read this book once, and it, it, it it's called The Black Swan. And it has this theory called like about turkeys. And it said that the life of a turkey is interesting because it's like you get all the food you want. You're hanging out with your friends, kicking it, partying all day. And then one day they cut your head off for a feast. And you have no idea this is coming. You have no idea that that's your purpose until it's too late. Right. And that's, you know, and so this, this thing, its purpose is survival. And part of that survival is consuming other creatures. So and maybe that's just how it's designed. So you think that it would continue to consume versus just trying to get its ship and leave? Well, yeah. If it, if it was stuck on earth, yeah. Wherever it lands, that's where it's going to try to consume. It. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I think I think I agree with that, and I think that it probably would, um, which and it makes the story a lot more interesting too, um, especially you know because Mac is is very clear about this, saying, "Listen, you know, it, we're, it, if if it it can't leave, we yeah. can't leave." Like he he's very upfront about it, and he says, "We're not getting out of here alive," but neither is that. Yeah, no one's um, getting out of here alive. So is that the right choice? Like a hundred percent. Okay. Because you don't know. There's so many. You, you can't have a sit down conversation with it. It's imitating everything you know. We've seen how destructive it can be. You see, it could take multiple forms. You know, if you can't kill it, you got to make sure it doesn't survive. Yeah, I think. I mean, that would be an incredible kind of self sacrifice too, because you're not talking about military soldiers here who go into their jobs knowing that if they go into a war zone that they could potentially be called upon to give their life. 
Yeah. Right. And, and, and people won't know you made that sacrifice. And no one's going to know either. That's right. Like no, one's gonna no one, no one is going to know. So um, to me, that's a, even in a way it's, I, I don't want to say it's more admiral that that could be if somebody out there listening, it, I was in the military for 15 and a half years. I'm not dogging on the military. I'm saying in movie sense though, that it is very admirable to make that decision knowing what you, what you just said, that no one's going to hear about this, yeah. that you are 100% doing it because you know it is the only thing that is right yeah. and the best thing to try and save humanity in your mind yeah. is to give your life to yeah. try and take care of it. No, I think you're right. There's going to be no school named after you. There's going to be no casket with the flag on it. There's going to be no comments from the president. There's going to be no conversation about what you did. There'll just be a story about some guys who died at an outpost in Antarctica. That's it. So another interesting point that, that I picked up on in this most recent viewing was there's a line of dialogue right after uh, they kill Clark. Mm-hmm. I forget who says it, but he says, Clark was human, which makes you a murderer. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, that goes into my, my, my point later on. but Okay. That's kind of it's kind of the point of the film. Okay, so we'll we'll, we'll cover that. In we'll, a bit. We'll, we'll we'll get to it later, but yeah. Um, how you feel about Wilford Brimley in this one? I <laughs> I was shocked. <sighs> I mean, I, I couldn't. Have you ever seen him in, in anything else? Yeah, yeah, I have. But he was really like subdued, calm, spoke very deliberate. People are running around screaming, and he's very like. Keep an eye on Fuchs. You know, he has these little lines or these little dialogue. It's like, I'm tired of being out here. I want to come in. Like he's, you know, he's very calm and slow in, in a situation where you expect people to be running around like a chicken with their head cut off. He is. And, you know, I think he was a great choice for that role because of that. You know, in his, in so many of his other roles, and some of them were after this in like Cocoon and The Natural. Yeah. Um, you know, and before that, he was in. Gosh, I don't remember what he was in, but it was. It, he had. I think he was in a TV show or two that were just, or some TV movies. But he was always just such a quiet, nice, gentle man. Um, <laughs> you know, and and in this one, he 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 changes over the course of the film. Like he, it gets to him too, and so mm-hmm. it kind of gives you that feeling that like, okay, you know, if this can rattle that guy. Mm-hmm. And change him into that mm-hmm. bonkers, nutso type of, you know, attitude, then that paranoia is very real. Right. I think the only person that keeps their calm throughout the whole film is Mac. Yeah. Right. And then, I mean, he's Kurt Russell, so, you know, what are you going to do? But even right. then, Mac has to make a couple threats. Like, he's as calm as he is, he still threatens to blow up the whole compound. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and he probably would go through it. With it, yeah, he, that's the thing. I think people knew he would do it. Um, but yeah, I, I love Brimley in this role uh, quite a bit. I, I think it's just, it's so unique and just something I never saw him do outside of this movie. And, you know, I always think of him as the oatmeal guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Any other characters stick out to you other than him and Kurt Russell? Palmer cracks me up on my recent viewing. Palmer's funny because at some, at some point he becomes one of the things. We don't know at what point. But man, he hates Windows. Cause they're like, McCready's splitting up the groups and he's like, Palmer, you're with Windows. He's like, I'm not going with him. 
And Windows is like, what? He's like, I'm not going with you. I don't, I don't, he's adamant <laughs> about not going with him. And then later on, when they have that issue with, with, uh, with McCready, he's like, he blames Windows for it. He's like, and Windows, where were you? It's just like, <laughs> he's yeah. kind of addressing Windows the whole movie. Well, that was one of the things that, that really stood out to me too, is that, you know, this is, these guys don't all like each other. <laughs> like this is not, this is not a group of people that all get along and are right. all, you know, perfectly one big happy family. There's infighting going on. So when it comes time to start pointing fingers, you know, some of them are going to naturally do that right away. Right. Um, and that definitely happens. You know, it's like, uh, Let's not deal with this. Um, okay. I was going to also, did you know who, um, applied for the role or not applied? Sounds like it's a job. Uh, but who was a maybe going to be McCready? Have you ever read I heard, these? Like Clint Eastwood, uh, somebody else. Yeah. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Yeah. And Clint Eastwood were both considered. So let's ask that question. Do you think either one of them would have worked? No. Me either. Me either. No. I don't think so either. Um, I think I definitely don't think Eastwood would have worked. That would have been uh, bigger than the film. Yes, and and he, well, and Ford was. I mean, Ford was coming off of Star Wars, small little indie film named Star Wars. Yeah, but <laughs> it, I mean, he. Yeah, I just don't see him having the right control. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like his Kurt Russell. Right. Kurt Russell can He's tell a- you what to do. I don't see Harrison Ford telling you what to do, you know, because he's not that kind of a leader that we've ever and really also, seen. Speaking of control, it's a it's a very controlled performance. Like you have to sort of be at the right beats because the way the film's cut, like they don't really give any timestamps. They just jump ahead, and you're like, "Oh, here we are!" And I guess McCready's going to see what's happening in this place because someone left the light on. Oh, that's and, right. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. And it just cuts to him coming back. Like even we don't even see um Fuchs death. We never see what happens to him. We just find him burnt. Yeah. Oh, I know. And McCready has to react to like that that speech he gives when he says, you know, hey, I know I can't be the only one, because if I was, you guys would all attack me right now. Like that's I don't know if Harrison Ford gives that speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. that way. I definitely agree. I don't I don't think that he would have worked um, hardly at all, <laughs> or hardly as well. But I, I, but I listen. I love Harrison Ford. I'm wearing. A oh yeah, we're not now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not. We're not <laughs> knocking here. I mean, I'm wearing. Oh no, I'm not wearing my Ty- yeah. Tyrell. I mean, I just watched Harrison Ford again. <laughs> Ty- Ty- I was. I was wearing my Tyrell Corporation shirt because I was at Blade Runner. Um, but then I got a shower. So, uh, also Jeff Bridges, uh, Nick Nolte, and Jeff Bridges both turned down this role. I could see a young Jeff Bridges, young Jeff Bridges having potential. I, I, I don't know, but I mean, obviously it's hard to, but I could, I can at least picture the possibility of that. Yeah, I could, but I, I'm glad that we got Kurt Russell because, yeah. you know, this really kickstarted a career for him of just being awesome in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And we love him still. Everything's iconic, man. The beard, the flamethrowers. It's, it's all great. Oh, the flamethrowers are so good. I, I really love this scene with the dogs. Um, it's probably yeah, oh, some of this. I'm going to be honest, man. Some of this still gores me out. Uh, and I'm like, I look away a little bit, not because I'm grossed out, but I'm just like, oh man, that's like really lingering mm-hmm. on the scene. Like that's the thing. John Carpenter doesn't, 
show you a quick shot and then cut away, like you stay there and you stare at that stuff. But man, when that dog is like twisted up and, and yeah. growing legs and tentacles like a spider and then it starts shooting out the, the silky like stuff try, trying to get to the other dog. Yeah. And they're just standing there with the flamethrower <laughs> and they're like, come on, like do something. Yeah. And that's how I feel like I would react. I feel like I would be standing there just frozen, like yeah. almost like I can't do something because I don't know what I'm experiencing right now. Right. Um, so I really enjoy that. And in getting and talking about that, let's talk a bit about the effects. Mm-hmm. So the effects is what people talk about the most when it comes to this movie. Uh, they talk about how it was early on some of the, the greatest special effects ever, uh, as far as practical effects go. Um, they were created by Rob Botton and he was only 22, po- 22 years old when he started this project. Wow. Which is absolutely crazy. Um, so Patrick, I'm going to share Patrick's thoughts. He said the gore factor definitely felt purposeful, uh, but at times it bordered on ridiculous. And each effect seemed to have value outside of just being a gross-out effect. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah. think? Do you agree? I agree 100%. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. They, you- uh, yeah. I mean, I don't really think – I mean, the gore definitely because it's a horror – it has some horror elements. But um, it was meant to jar the characters because they hadn't seen anything like this before. And to show that the alien it, – it looked different every time you saw it. And never, it wasn't like, That's true. it looks the same every time it took a different form. Some more grotesque than others, some more disgusting, but it, it always looked different. That's a good point. I hadn't actually thought about that, but you're right. It, I mean, you know, we, we have the dogs and then, because it takes a, a resemblance to whatever it's, yeah, whatever it's host is. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if this kind of practical effects if we're ever going to see this again i mean we talked i don't know if we were talking yeah. were we talking about it on the i don't know if we were talking about it during the episode or before the episode but um we were mentioning about 2011's the thing yeah. and how i had seen that one and you were saying that the practical effects uh, were initially there for yeah. that one by a really great team but then they covered them up with cgi yeah we'll see we'll see it again will we will we'll, yeah. will we will anyone care do you think? Do you think? Yeah, audiences be, can handle it. Yeah, it'll be a low budget horror film that does it and does it well, and people will be like, "It's the new wave. Practical effects are back." It, it reminds me of like Fast and Furious. I think a lot of what what gravitated people to the first one, it was all practical. Mm-hmm. It was cars crashing other cars. It wasn't like people on wires, right? Or something. Jet skis. Yeah, there, on there's ice. Something. Yeah. <laughs> submarines. Yeah, now it's now it's turned into something else. But early on it was all very practical. Yeah, that's and true. Liked it. That's a good point. Um I think it, it speaks to that relatability. Anytime we can feel like we're relating to a story. Right. You know, like we can't relate, like we said, to, to actual alien invasions, but we can relate to that feeling of isolation or that feeling of of fear. And mm-hmm. so we can put ourselves in that in the shoes in in a sense. Um, but I, I would say I enjoy the practical effects in this one as well. Uh, just, and Patrick, I think Patrick's right. I, I, the fact that it, they do become a little bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think it's intentional so that it never hits that point of being a full on scary movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is considered 
sci-fi horror. And you said something to me this, right when we started, you asked me, you said, is it a horror movie? So I, I gotta, did you, what, what do you feel about that? Do you have something to say about that? I don't think it's a horror film. Okay. Why not? I think it's a sci-fi film. I think it has horror elements. I don't think it's a horror film. I think it scares people because stuff like isolation scares people. Mm-hmm. Stuff like not being able to trust people you that are close to you scares people. Trust like stuff like not the unknown scares people. And that film has all of that, and that's where the fear comes from. I don't think the actual creature scares people. Okay, it's not it's not knowing if you're a thing scares me, not the actual thing. That makes more sense. Yeah, like it's more more of a more fearful thing to be worried about becoming it. Yes. Than it is to be killed by it. Yes. Like, because it's not going to just kill you. It's going to consume you. (laughs) Consumes you. Right. So that, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Um, I don't know. Boy, it's a hard sell for me. (laughs) I'm just, I'm picturing like the head coming off right now, like stretching and out. That's that's spider head. Yeah. It's pretty hoary. Um, but it's a, it's a it's a fascinating thought, uh, yeah. you know. I actually, for the longest time, to be honest, I questioned whether or not this was sci-fi. Oh, it's definitely sci-fi. Uh, and the idea behind that question was just that it felt like more like a monster to me than an alien. But that's just because of the effects, right? Uh, and I, I do think this is such a common idea, you know, the invasion of the body snatchers. I don't yeah. think that this story idea is going to go away. Um, I no. think we're going to keep, keep telling this, this idea, this story of being a host, um, to an alien species of some kind for a long time. And I, I like we, it. We just saw it with Get Out. I mean, essentially. Oh, that's people, true. People being hosts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. I always forget like the Get Out's got some actual horror elements to it. <laughs> Oh, um, oh yeah. I mean, like beyond the the realistic, like social yeah. horror of it, um, that it actually has some kind of horror type themes, especially toward the end of it. Like, because we don't we don't know if in in the thing if these people are still alive. Oh, if they're dead, and we don't know if they, we don't know if they're just duplicates. We don't know what's happening. But in Get Out, we know people are still they're still there, mm-hmm. and they show what it looks like. And apparently Jordan Peele said, like, the second place looks different to everybody. Okay. And there was huh. apparently, apparently you see him in the second place, you see more of it, but they, it got cut. Hmm. I wonder, time, if that's, yeah. I wonder if it's on the DVD anywhere. I'll have to yeah. check it out. Um, yeah, that's actually a fascinating question, too. It's like, I wonder what the humans see. Like, at what point do they become thing and cease to be human? Like, when do they die? And it's just their skin, you know, or are they alive throughout the like stretching process? Here's a skin suit. (laughs) Oh man. I mean like how, like what if your mind is still intact? Uh, That's torture. While your body is. Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. That's, that's horrific. (laughs) Um, I also love the music. I gotta yeah. say the thing that it stuck out to me big time, like right away when the I had forgotten that right before the title crawl, we actually saw the spaceship. I didn't remember that happening, but yeah. that happens, and then that uh, Morcone 
who is just a genius. Uh, his like suit, that bass sound hits and it's just, oh, it's so good. I think it's just a perfect score for this film. I don't know that it would work for everything, but no, it definitely works for this film. It definitely, you know, enhances and amplifies that feeling of, of fear and, and isolation really and well. Doom, doom and, doom, <laughs> and doom. Yeah. And like impending death. Um, so yeah, I mean, you got anything, is there anything else that we've skipped over that you wanted to mention or that you particularly love about this movie? No, no. I do you want to it. point out a funny bit of trivia and that is that in this movie we have a character named Mac and a character mm-hmm. named Windows. Wow. And that is a coincidence. Yeah. It's not intentional. And they're buddies. That's pretty funny. <laughs> in hindsight, if they only knew. Yeah, right. <laughs> if only we had had an Android like David somewhere. You know, well, they, then we they could have had a computer playing could, chess games. That's true. That's true. That stupid chess game. Oh, that stupid chess. That looked really bad. Like, yeah. if I had to be in Antarctica secluded, I know. For, I don't, I would need more than that I right. think, to keep me entertained. Well, what we always like to kind of wrap up with him is our connecting point, and mm-hmm. we save like the the moment that we most connected with the film or, or had an emotional response, and then we kind of talk about it now. Um, so we're gonna do that, and I wanted to read Patrick's because yes. lest lest he not be forgotten, <laughs> and also to prove that he actually did watch this movie. I was joking earlier. Uh, he I'm did. Of, I'm proud of Patrick watching it. I, I am too, and he was bummed he couldn't be here to talk about it. So um, I'm I'm excited that he still gets to do two out of our three horror movies. Uh, and maybe maybe this one is going to help because it, it seems like he took it pretty well, and that makes me happy because the more he takes these horror films well, then hopefully he'll be able to build up a little bit of a stomach for them, and we can watch more of them. Maybe which means so. we get means we get a podcast about them. Um, so I'm going to read his. So Patrick says. I joked a bit about this, uh, that I wanted to pick Wilford Brimley as my connecting point, <laughs> which he did. He told me that. Uh, the truth is, though, seeing Blair lose it by destroying everything he can just speaks to the intense and desperate mentality that he and probably others have. It's interesting that in his rant, he is actually speaking some truth, that if the thing gets out, the whole world is doomed, that it didn't want to be an animal. It wanted to be us. Brimley's performance connects with me because it's one that is honest. It's fear and anger and desperation and hopelessness all wrapped up into one. I've never been that far gone in my life, but I know what it's like to feel hopelessness and to lash out because of it. Though not from a shape-shifting alien trying to take over the world perspective. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. So I thank you, Patrick, for, for giving us that. I, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, you and I did about Brimley and specifically that, that feeling and he's dead on. Um, he, I think more than any other character, he is the one that we can put ourselves into. I, I mean, I really think that I think there's very few of us that probably would be Mac right. in reality. I'd love to think of myself as a Mac and be like, I, you know, but I don't know, man. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I, I think because Brimley's the one character where we see his breaking point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he actually lives long enough to give us one. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, what uh, what is your connecting point? Uh, my connecting point is the scene towards the end 
when after McCready goes to check on the light in this place, they come back, they say it's McCready, he's one of those things. And McCready breaks in the storage room, you hear some rumbling around, and they're like, Palmer Palmer has a flamethrower, and Palmer's like, Open the door and I'll kill him if he's one of those things. Yep. And Childs is like, you know, he's gonna break down the door with an axe. So they're gonna do this whole thing. And um this whole back and forth, and then as Childs is getting ready to chop down the door, Windows says, Childs, what if we're wrong about him? And Childs just says, well, then we're wrong. And to <laughs> me, that's that's the film. That's the movie. It's like, I don't know if you're an alien, but if you are, I'll kill you. And if you're not, oh, well, you could have been. Can't take that chance. Can't take the chance. And 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 none of these people making decisions are bad people. Like Childs isn't a bad person. Childs ends up surviving at the end with McCready. But there's also rumors that Childs is maybe an alien at the end. Oh, I love that. I love there's the all kinds of theories. Like like he didn't have breath coming out of his mouth out in the cold when he was talking. That possibly McCready put gasoline there, pretending it to be alcohol. And so when Childs takes a swig, he knows he's an alien. There's also the eye gleam theory that there's no gleam around the eyes of people who are aliens. Mm-hmm. At the end, Child doesn't have a gleam around his eyes. There's tons of theories on the internet. Feel feel free to look them up. They're all kind of bonkers. Uh, I like not knowing. That's always been a cool part to me. Uh, but yeah, that that whole concept of survival and this movie is built on survival, and they were willing to kill someone. Because they thought he might have been it. Yeah, I think I think that's so good, man. I I absolutely agree, and um, yeah, I I totally am with you on not knowing. It's one of the that's what makes Blade Runner and now its sequel so powerful for me too. Is there's there's questions like mm-hmm. the whole movies are mysteries, but yet they don't answer everything. They leave me mm-hmm. wondering things and. Yeah. And I don't want to know. I like the idea of having to come up with all these crazy theories mm-hmm. and trying to prove them, you know, either way. But that, that last scene is super powerful with, uh, Charles and Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, I, I just, I love that concept of like, you know, let's just, let's just stay here for a little while. Yeah. You know, like we're tired, you know, at this point it is what it is and what? let's just take a break. Yeah. Um, Everything's burning around them. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're dead either way. Yeah. I really like, I really, really like Keith David. I, I don't know what oh. else I've seen him in, but he stood out to me. Of, yeah. I mean, I know, but I don't, like, I don't remember roles, you know, like, I feel like he's been uh-huh. a supporting character or something. Yes. And a lot of stuff. Voice like, work. Do you watch, um, Rick and Morty? No. He I was don't. just like a voice on Rick and Morty recently. Oh, he's uh, in Platoon. That's right. Platoon. Yeah. I'm seeing if there's anything that I really, really notice. Uh, Crash. Yeah. Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Um, what else is there? A lot of voiceover work. Yeah, he's got a ton of voiceover work I'm looking at. But yeah. He's got I, that voice. Yeah, he's, I don't know. He he really stood out to me this he, time he around. Was, he I was just, in the Nice Guys recently. Okay. I'm a, I'm, I saw him there. Yeah. He was the bad guy in the Nice Guys. But yeah, he's he's an underrated uh, actor in my opinion. I I just I really really enjoyed his performance a lot. Yeah, he's one of those actors that doesn't take anything off the table. He sort of just does what he does, 
really well and gets off the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Well, my connecting point um, is the moment when the crew is trying to determine the, the crew that's left is trying to determine mm-hmm. who's an alien and who's not. And I mentioned this earlier, how this was t- taken directly from the short story by the way that they, the method that they use. Mm-hmm. And this is where they're going one by one and they're just touching this hot wire to the blood. Mm-hmm. To me, the paranoia and the fear, it, this is like at an all time high. You just watch as the camera moves around the room and it zooms in on people's faces. And there's just so many emotions to me right. filling that room. Um, and I, I also, I think this is my hero moment for Mac because he says, I'll prove what I already know. And boom, like no hesitation. Yeah. He goes first. Right. And to me as a leader, like, or as a, as a boss, even in my, you know, in my career or as a dad, mm-hmm. like that's, that's a concept that's very important is you always have to lead from the front. You have to lead by example. And Mac does not hesitate one second. He just boom, does it like, right. gosh, what if he was wrong? Um, <laughs> but like imagining not knowing and sitting there watching scared to death that maybe you're infected. Right. I mean, oh my gosh, man. I was like, I was on pins and needles, just like scared to death for these guys. Cause I didn't remember who was or wasn't this viewing. Yeah. So I was, I, I was waiting. Like I didn't know. Um, and you know that if you are like, you're going to be ripped apart and killed. Like, you know that you're yeah. dead. So if that right. thing reacts, it's over. Um, and so at this point, I feel like all trust basically has eroded from the group. And it just is super high in tension, and I love that scene. I could watch yeah. that scene over and over and over. Uh, it's the, just fantastic. The best part about the beginning of that scene is, is after McCready tests his blood, they're like, oh, this is BS. This is not, you know, it's not a real test. <laughs> right. It's yeah. not until it, he it, finally gets the Palmer's blood that, that, that people realize that, yeah, when the blood jumps out the preaching dish that they realize that it's, you know. Yeah, it's it's crazy seeing it too because you're like, oh crap, it worked! Like yeah. especially especially the first time when you're watching it and you you completely don't know when it's gonna come. And Palmer starts shaking and ugh, his I eyes mean, start bulging out of his head. Like, it's really gross. And that's that's a great example of like a jump scare that's mm-hmm. not what jump scares have become. Yeah, you know, like it you're built right. the tension up to the jump scare and then it pays it off right. versus kind of being cheap. Yeah, so, it, it happens mid conversation with McCready. He's yeah, like talking when it happens. <laughs> yeah, he is exactly. It's like it's non expected, and then it's just like, oh crap. So yeah, so that's that's mine. Um, I love that we we all three picked up on some different things there for that. And yeah, it's great. It's a great movie. Uh, it certainly is amazing, and it deserves all the accolades. And I'm excited to. I haven't watched a ton of John Carpenter's stuff. Oh, so uh, you got to get into it. I need to watch some more, like we talked about. Um, Ghost from Ghost of Mars. I think I've seen. It's a it's a fun bad movie. Yeah, it's a fun bad movie because it, it's sci fi. I'm a huge sci fi guy, so anything yeah. anything to do with space or sci fi, I'm gonna okay. usually gonna check out. Um, maybe tonight after the show, I'll I'll pop in one of those horror movies that you recommended. You watch the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, that's what I'll do. I'll watch that one tonight. Then watch I got it. I got time. You're gonna so. you're gonna love it. I probably am. I like the remake. I honestly didn't hate the remake. Oh, I'm gonna warn you though, it is bloody. Yeah, yeah it's good. like you'll see the bloody stuff coming. It's not like a surprise. It's bloody, but a great story. 
I've 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 come to be okay with it. You know, okay. like I if I can get through the thing, honestly, there's <laughs> some gore in the thing, so um, I'll, I should be all right. Yeah, Freddy's face scares me more than the gore. Like, yeah, the, just looking at him is just like, ugh. They were saying a comforter was saying like at the time people had masks, and he wanted a character that um didn't have a mask and could emote, but yeah. was still terrifying so they burned him it worked <laughs> it works yeah scared people for decades oh still oh gross well man uh i'm so glad you were able to come on and we're gonna have to have you back um once patrick yes. can be on an episode with us as well because i know he was looking forward to getting to meet you and talk to you um we do some more horror with patrick yeah we can maybe use that as a plug to to sneak when we're in so one more time one more time where can people follow you on the internet where can they find your reviews and they can interact i'm easy to find uh you can find me at peoplescriticblog.com you can find me on twitter people's critic uh but not spelled cr not spelled yeah someone else has it someone else has it so So, how do you spell it uh people's c-r-t-i-c okay and I and all your links, your link to that and your link to your PI blog are going to both yeah. be in uh, the show notes as well. So it. folks, check that out. Uh, Tim is actually very active on Twitter, uh, so he will interact and talk to you. <laughs> he will not Thanks. ignore you. So if you want to come talk uh, movies, I like people. Yeah, I, I genuinely enjoy people. Yeah, he's not kidding. He's he's telling the truth. So um, yeah, look him up and check out his stuff. He's got he's got good stuff there. As for me, you can always find me everywhere at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, and also tweeting from the Feelin' Film Twitter account. Come join our Facebook group. We can't ever plug that enough. That's where all the magic happens. Uh, ongoing conversations every day. A few, few hundred members in there just talking movies and entertainment and getting to know each other, becoming friends and bonding over film. And it's just a wonderful place, and we'd love to have you there. You can find it by searching on Facebook or we put the put in the show notes every every week as well. Uh, next week we got two episodes. the The last two October episodes. Oh Mid- wow! Yeah, midweek we're going to be doing our donor pick episode for October. Our donors picked Scream by a <laughs> by a yes. slim margin. So yeah, Scream was good, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I got I got lots to to talk. I, it was gorier than I recommended. Little little. Uh, <laughs> I I did not remember. Yeah. Some it was the, start, it was sort of sort of like the relaunch of the slasher film. They it sort of went away from that. I remember really that, but man, yeah, like there's some. There's the some, opening is the opening. Is the entrails is some. There's some entrails, but uh, yeah. So we're excited to do Scream midweek. We'll drop a minisode, and then the uh, Halloween episode right. is going to be the Blair Witch Project. So that should all be right. fun. It's one of my all time favorites, and I'm excited to. <laughs> I don't know if Patrick has seen it, but I. Oh, God it's help him. Scary. It's just creepy. You know, creepy. we'll, I know, and we'll talk about this next week on our show, I'm sure, but it is, it is definitely different watching it now than it was in the moment. And I, I think a lot of my response to that movie was centered around the hype and the, the situation and the circumstances of that movie's marketing. So that's, yeah, the, that's, it was like pre internet the way we know it now. So mm-hmm. the way they marketed it was crazy. People thought it was real. People thought it's something that actually happened. They thought it was a real found footage. And they really capitalized on all that marketing and literally got people to go to the theater to see this thing. I know. Do you remember people having to leave the theater because of like motion sickness? 
I have heard that. that I do was not, a thing? I do not remember that happening in, to me. Like, maybe they did. I was a little bit invested. So I, I was not <laughs> worried about the people around me. I was worried about, like, what was going to happen when I walked out of that building. That's yeah. what I was worried about. I also think it came out – oh, I know we're getting into a bunch of this stuff. We'll no, probably, okay. re- probably repeat ourselves next week. Yeah, but, that's fine. Um, I think it also happened around the time of the – there was a shooting around the time of – Uh, Was it Columbine? I think it might have been. Yeah. When did this movie come out? Columbine was what, 98? This was 99? Yeah, I think maybe there was... Yeah, I think... I feel like it... I don't know. I feel like it... Some well, reason... We can figure this out. Some reason I feel like that... Uh, that was a thing. Wait, did you see the, the remake that did the Blair Witch? Okay, I so did. Blair Witch was 99. Yep, we have a... We have, a, um, we have an episode on that, yep. Columbine 99 okay same year so Columbine was was April because it was around my birthday and Blair Witch released I don't know why I'm connecting those two but no you're you released in July so it was right after okay for some reason yeah. that's what I remembered yeah yeah and that did that movie uh that that Othello high school thing they did with um uh Mike uh not Mike Epps, uh Omar Epps and mm. somebody else. But there's like a something happens in there at high school and they, they postponed that because of Columbine. That sat on a shelf for a couple like a year. I know what movie you're talking about. Um, it's called O. Oh, it's called O. It's called O, yeah. Oh, not higher learning. No, not higher learning. No, higher learning was way before that. Okay. That, yeah. That was I was before. like, I was like, Omar, yeah, there's, no Omar way <laughs> there's no way higher learning comes out after Columbine. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's literally, you know, Michael Rapport shooting people from a clock tower. Yeah, no. exactly. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. No, you're right. Yeah, it was, it was influenced. I remember that. There was some, a little bit of a, a backlash from that. All right. Well, I, yeah, man, I, thanks for coming on again. Super fun. Um, enjoyed the heck out of it and, uh, glad we got to talk about the thing. Thanks for having me, man. Good time. Yep. Well, listeners, uh, until next time, stay positive and keep feeling film. <laughs>